0: Bobcast. Bobcast. Bobcast This is the Bobcast, a podcast exploring reformed theology through the works of Herman Bobbing. Thank you for joining us for the very first Bobcast. Today we'll be looking at just the first few pages of Herman Bovink's The Wonderful Works of God, just released by Westminster Seminary Press. But before we begin, a little bit about us. I'm Andrew Smith, a student at Westminster Seminary, California, pastoral intern at Oceanside United Reformed Church from the great state of Wyoming.
1: Hi, I'm Mark Scaturro, second year MDiv at Westminster Seminary California, as well, intern at Escondido
2: Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and from the frigid north of Michigan. I am Caleb Castro, California native, currently in seminary at Mid America Reformed Seminary in Dyer, Indiana, intern with Oakland URC in Lansing, Illinois.
0: We're glad you can join us for our discussion of pages one through three of this very
2: important,
0: very helpful work of Reformed theology.
2: And we see where he's, uh, how he starts off in this book with teachings on um, man's highest good. What is it that man is to attain to? So, what is man created for, really, uh, is what he would put forward as a question. So we put this into the form of a question uh which everybody I think inevitably has at some point or another uh why do I exist? Why am I born? What am I here for?
1: <laughs> like he answers that so bluntly like God and God alone is yeah. man's highest good. Like if you in, in, in case you had any problems here it's God and God alone like it's very Westminster uh catechism 1, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever.
0: See, the, the Dutch and the Presby's can't get along.
1: Absolutely. The Dutch and the
0: Presby's are good. Usually.
1: I mean, you guys just got to come around a little bit on your
0: government.
2: <laughs> hey,
0: now. Baby steps.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I mean, a bang right out of the gate there with that. We we all, as he says in the, uh, the last sentence of that uh, paragraph, all creatures owe their existence from moment to moment solely to him who is the one eternal and omnipresent being. Of course, that, that issue that we get from this is uh, to what extent do we recognize that or to what extent do we acknowledge it, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, he has that whole hierarchy of being, too, you know. He uh, talks about plants who are devoid of any awareness, and he goes to animals that have received, in addition to their existence and their life, a kind of awareness, but this is like a sensual thing. They're they're aware of the actual and the pleasant and the useful, but they have no notion of the true the good and the beautiful. And I just I just really appreciate granted we're, you know, only into the first chapter here and we're discussing things, but Bavink's writing, I don't know like, if this comes through in the Dutch or if this is like, you know, kudos to the translator, but it's very poetic. Like it this this is beautiful. And you kind of get that feeling that Bavink is really he's like a poet artist at heart. Like just just even later in this chapter and the stuff that he goes into about art. Word choices, word pictures, this book is just amazing for that kind of stuff.
0: I was listening to the Ligon air webcast the other day, and they had Sinclair Ferguson on there on a panel. He was asked what he was reading these days that he found edifying, and he mentioned this book and he said he said something to the effect of this is the most beautiful work of theology, one of the most beautiful works of theology available in the english language and and You definitely see that. I mean, not just is this good as a work of systematic theology, but I mean, as literature, it's like, wow, it really kind of makes you step back and think and appreciate. But another thing, too, that I think is really interesting is, on one hand, the first time I read through this, it's like, you know, this seems really simple and straightforward, the difference between man and animals. And yet it's like, at the same time, I've never really heard anyone try to explain it like this before in a way that just lays things out so clearly and so sharply and brilliantly makes the distinctions. And in our time, this is important because we have a lot of confusion, even at this very point. Like, what is the difference between man and animals? Have you ever heard somebody say that animals should have, like, the same rights and the same dignity as people or where people will have pets and they... Not ironically, not jokingly treat their pets as their children and call them their children. And it's like, but but there is a difference. There's an insurmountable hierarchical difference between them because God created man to have dominion over creation. Yeah, but you're just a speciest, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Shame on me.
2: <laughs> you know, I'm uh, being one of those people that uh, you know, puts my dog in a bow tie and we talk to him like a person. In somewhat of an ironic manner, I remember in uh, and, and reading through this. I remember it came to mind on that this section right here that what's remarkable is just how like you know no matter what kind of personality I ascribe to you know to my dog, uh, no matter what you know story I, I put to whatever he's you know trying to do, you know my my dog's not concerned in the least with the questions of yeah you know, the true good and the beautiful. He's not interested in. And, you know, wondering what, you know, what is the purpose of life? He's not going and contemplating, uh, art or, uh, making, you know, some kind of criteria for what beauty is. And he has no, no, no sense of a, of anything moral or something, I don't know, innately spiritual, if you will, in him. Um, nothing metaphysical. Bobby says that in his last, uh, his last sentence, um, you know, uh, being satisfied by the sensuous. My dog is satisfied by the sensuous and will not penetrate through to the spiritual order. It's something weird that we're like, you know, that, that man so uniquely uh, is concerned with these questions of, you know, what is his point of life? Or trying to understand, like, you know, why the government's unjust or or why the government is just or whatever. It should give us a big peek into, uh, a big uh, arrow towards that, which is, uh, beyond us
0: so paddington doesn't have any like hot takes on the stimulus
2: <laughs> i don't think so i mean he's sitting here licking his leg um he's been doing it for like two <laughs> minutes now and it's pretty soaked um so that's kind of weird but uh you know the, these uh these ideas though in man of like the true good and the beautiful though are are so, <laughs> so just like imperfect you know um i'm thinking of like you know how, how do we arrive at like what truth actually is or what goodness or beauty is you know, uh you have so many philosophers that like give different answers to these kind of things. But Bobbing tells us, you know, clearly that it's uh just as from scripture, um right from the beginning, man is created in God's image and likeness. Um this itself is the origin of our of all our conceptions of spirituality. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He
1: just lays it out right there for For man, the case is quite different. He is a creature who right from the beginning was created after God's image and likeness and the divine origin and divine kinship he can never erase or destroy. Even though he has uh, lost the glorious attributes of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, again, Westminster Confession of Faith language, uh, which lay contained in the image of God. I mean, how many people... uh, today are satisfied with being that animal. You know what I mean? How many people are like, oh man, you should just be content with what you got. Like, you know, live in the now, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you guys are short changing yourself so much. That's not what you were made for. And, and he wrote this, you know, 1907 when this came out. So, I mean, yeah, put that 2020.
0: Yeah. Man I mean, it, well, and it's remarkable too, because like at that point, we hadn't even had like World War One or any of the major events that shaped the world as we know it. Yeah. And, this is still a it,
2: period of optimism.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Although it's kinda it's kinda interesting when you look at that in the now because we've had a period of relative peace and prosperity and now through this coronavirus pandemic we're seeing that just very quickly shattered. Oh
1: totally. Yeah.
0: Something I I think that's kind of interesting in this part, the, the divine origin and divine kinship, he can never erase or destroy. No matter how hard he try. Right. Because, I mean, people today, many of them will, yeah, try to live like we're animals, try to just live for pleasures and try to unhinge themselves from morality, from any kind of idea of what is right and wrong. And yet... Nobody can do that consistently. People, for instance, they can't eliminate their innate sense of justice, you know, and you can see that when we see injustice in the world and how people react to it and it's like if you were consistent, you know, you wouldn't really have a reason to be bothered by it and yet you are. Because you can't we can't get rid of God's image and likeness in us as much as we may try.
2: Right and I mean and one of one of the biggest issues um you know well, well the biggest issue as we know is uh I mean sin itself and this is so much fragmented the image of god uh or how we understand our relationship with god rather you know this this makes it where there's that uh that void and that vacuum where you know we seek to fill uh our deepest needs and desires with anything else uh and we we look to the worldly things for that um Bobby mentions like in this way, yeah, we we definitely share a sensuous desire with the animal, but in regards to like these like deeper questions of, about truth and morality, you know we we seek after anything to give us an answer. uh we're looking to understand this world that we live in this these these culture and these times and events, uh, we seek to explain things like coronavirus or. Just months ago, we'd be talking more about school shootings. You speak about all these different devastations. You want a reason for them. And oftentimes people aren't really just, it's not easy to just go and say, well, you know, it's, it's just meaningless. It's, you know, it's just a random chance. Um, people do try to give some kind of answer of, yeah, there, there's evil in the world. There's brokenness. There's there's wrong. You know, this isn't the way that things should
1: be. Yeah, like what he says here on top of page two, in all his thinking and in all of his work, in the whole life and activity of man, it becomes apparent that he is a creature who cannot be satisfied with what the whole corporeal world has to offer. And that's what we try to do. It You know, it's all about how much I can attain. It's about how many people I can know. It's about, you know whatever you know whatever vice there is whatever way i'm going to try to find happiness uh but the fact of the matter is you're not going to find it there and like bombing is just so winsome about how he goes about this and it's just great
2: you know i think like i also think back to you know at the the time uh that he's writing this where yeah there. You uh, know, andrew mentioned it a little bit earlier i think um you know, this is this is before World War One. This this being before World War One, you know, uh, I'd I said there's still this kind of optimism of what man can achieve uh, if he, you know, just puts his mind and his will to it. Uh, if he just kind of puts enough elbow grease there, and uh, you know, some even try to employ uh, Christianity to justify their their own, you know, their their own reason. <laughs> they created their own version of Christianity um, and use it to to conquer other people, uh, to start wars, you know, but, but when, when, when war one hit, you know, the, the, the fragmentation of like, uh, just hit so hard for man, you know, the, the realize like, there's no reason to be optimistic. Look, uh, look what kind of devastation we can bring through war and through terror. Um, uh, see at that time also right at the end of the war, there would have been also the, the Spanish, uh, the Spanish influenza, right yeah 1918 um, yeah. um, right so another another so travesty after travesty uh, a couple of years later is the crash of the stock market um you know in the u.s when europe mm-hmm. was already facing some really hard economic hardships uh post-war all these people uh the living in this time period um you know they they got that uh thing up they, they got that uh their whole worldview shaken up you know, we said we can do great things. We said we can bring uh, uh, greatness and prosperity. Even the Christians who were post-millennial at that time were saying, oh, you know, we can advance society and do good and, uh, you know, bring forth the kingdom of God in the millennial, uh, millennial age. And then it just all shatters to pieces. And they say, well, everything we've learned before is a lie. Uh, you can fast forward to World War II, similar events, Right. Uh, yeah. More devastations and horrors that man brought um, cold war <laughs> the 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 constant the constant
0: possibility that some catastrophe could wipe out everything in a second. I think that we would be bereft to not evoke
1: Dr. Clark here and talking about how you know everybody's thought was getting better every way and every day you know you have the universal fatherhood of god you have the universal brotherhood of man um people you know were seeing the effects of modernization on things like agriculture and industry uh money was being made hand over fist people were able to eat people were able to uh have time for leisure and education and and then everything really hit the fan um
2: and because all those things often too
1: Right. Right. You know, they realize that, oh, hey, all these great uh, innovations that we have can also be extremely devastating and efficient on the battlefield.
2: Yeah. And actually, from from World War Two, I mean, if, if I remember right, there's a, you know, there was a big critique of like saying, oh, this is what people were doing in the name of religion. You know, and, and really Christians were killing Christians. Um, you know, I think it really it really shook a lot of uh whatever people were holding on to um beginning of the death of christendom there but it's really no different than anything else that's gone on since the beginning of time you know uh bobbing in that, that uh let's see the third paragraph down from page, on page two you know man man's not satisfied with sensuous things even if he tries to put it off and blame christianity or whatever uh, he requires uh, and seeks a good which has not become good because of circumstances, but which is good in and through and for itself, an unchanging spiritual eternal good. And his will, again, can find its rest only in such a highest, absolute divine goodness. The man wants some kind of a, wants a, a stability, a sensibility of this life and this meaning and purpose. And that can only be found in God.
1: Right, right. Just that paragraph before, like, he he says that man's thinking and knowing, although bound to his brain, are nevertheless in their essence quite entirely a spiritual activity, far transcending the things he sees with his eye and handles with his hand. I mean, he picks up more on this motif, too, when he gets uh, to art later on and things like that. Um, But yeah, yeah, I, I just love this last sentence of that paragraph. What he is really seeking... Uh, What he's really seeking for is not a tangible reality, but spiritual truth, a truth which is one, eternal and imperishable. His understanding can find rest only in such an absolute divine truth. Like, don't bother looking for it anywhere, guys. You're not going to find it there. Um, and, And once people know this truth, you know, they'll experience a happiness that they're not experiencing right now. You know, look how, look how miserable people are because they have to stay at home in their swank houses with all their food and their hoarded toilet paper, and they're miserable. You know, they don't have to go to work that I'm sure that they were complaining about incessantly, uh, you know, the day before the quarantine happened. It, it, you know now all of a sudden this is a burden like you know you see those those memes or or you know somebody writing those things it's like our, our grandparents battle was World War Two in 1944. You know our battle today is being asked to sit on our couch and, and just the amount of complaining that's going on is ridiculous. And this just goes to show that you know what if your happiness is wrapped up in here you're always going to find something else the grass is always going to be greener you're going to be miserable. So focus on the things of God because that's where you're going to find fulfillment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm Italian.
0: <laughs>
1: but I married Dutch, so it's okay.
0: And on that potentially controversial note, we are out of time for this week.
1: This is Bobcast signing off, reminding you to eat smocklick and tot Totzines. Tot
0: that means goodbye thank you for listening to Bobcast if you like what you've heard make sure to subscribe and leave a five star review where you get your podcasts you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Bobcast that's B-A-V cast or send us an email at Bobcast at gmail.com Intro and outro music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time.